Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Good morning. My name is Chris. I'm the teaching pastor here. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 1, Gospel of John chapter 1. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1062 in that Bible. We are wrapping up today. We've done a little mini-series just for the Sundays in December. Uh, We want to take some time to focus in on Christmas, obviously. So we've done a little series that we've called Christ in the Carols. And we've been taking a different carol each week, uh, these great, awesome, traditional songs of Christmas time. And we've been walking through them and pulling out some scripture and learning about Jesus through them. So we're going to wrap this up today. Next Sunday is December 24th. And just as Pastor Mesh already mentioned, just a reminder, we are at one service, one 10 o'clock service. We're going to be involving the kids in the service. So we don't have childcare, but the kids are going to be a part of it. Sarah's going to do some stuff in the service with them. So we encourage you to be there for that. And so we'll wrap up our little mini series here today. We have gone through a few different carols. The first week we looked at Hark the Herald Angels Sing uh, and walked through that carol. Last week we did Come That Long Expect. Jesus, and today we are wrapping up with, O come all ye faithful, come let us adore him, which we have sung this morning. And uh, it is maybe one of the most worshipful of the Christmas carols, because a lot of the others tell the story of Jesus and the story of Christmas, but this is just a worshipful song from start to finish, as we are invited to come and adore Jesus, come and worship him, along with all those in the Christmas story who worship Jesus as they encounter him. I'm going to show you a clip here. I show this every year, uh, so you've seen it before from me, and it's from a Charlie Brown Christmas, because it's not Christmas if you don't see this clip. And this is from the 1965 Christmas special, and I'm sure many of you have seen it. It still airs every year. And in this special, Charlie Brown is struggling with the meaning of Christmas and the commercialism of Christmas and the busyness of Christmas and just what is this whole thing about? And the whole special is about him questioning what Christmas is, and it comes to its great climax here. Take a look. There it is. Come on. That showed in 1965, and even back then, that was controversial. We sometimes can think of that as maybe a more uh, Christian-friendly time to live, but this was going out on NBC, on network television, and the executives did not like the fact that there was such a Jesus-y message going out over the airwaves. But Charles Schultz, who created the series and drew it, said, well, that's just too bad for you then. If you want a Christmas special, we're going to have this scene in there. And they went, all right, because they really wanted it that badly. So even now, this year, every year, this goes out on the networks, the story of Jesus. And, uh, and that's pretty cool that 50 plus years later, it is still going out. And, and the message is the same, of course. And we have been saying this as Christians for over 2,000 years, that this is what Christmas is all about, that we are always coming back to Jesus. And even as we as Christians can still get caught up in the commercialism or materialism or busyness or stresses of the season, we always are, are coming back to the manger. We are always coming back to Bethlehem. We are always coming back to the baby who was born. We are sometimes forcing ourselves, but we are coming back there. Let's take a look at our text today. We are in John chapter 1. And in John's gospel, John doesn't tell really any of the nativity story at all. Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel give us the Christmas story in terms of what happened. John talks about Christmas. He takes a bit more of a symbolic approach to it uh, as he talks about what happened at Christmas time. But this is actually my favorite Christmas passage in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And as we get into this, Jesus is given the name the Word uh, in this passage. So every time you see the Word, we are talking about Jesus. So John writes, In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's a good Christmas passage right there. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We'll get back to that uh, as we go through today. But it's, it's all pointing to this idea, uh, and you know this if you've been around church for a while, if you've been through Christmases at a church, that this is a baby being born that's obviously being celebrated, but this is not a baby like any other baby that has ever been born or ever will be born. There is something new and different and profound happening in Bethlehem, and the response of everybody who hears the story of Jesus being born is worship. It is adoring, it is adoration, it is worship every time. The angels worship, the shepherds worship, the wise men worship. As Jesus is born, the response is worship. And as we see Jesus, as we acknowledge Jesus, if we are followers of Jesus, our response is also to worship. That is always the right response when we come face to face with Jesus. And so we're going to talk about worship today as we go through our carol. And sometimes worship can be a touchy subject in churches. And Meadowbrook's actually really good on this subject. It, it maybe comes up once in a while, but it's not a big problem here. Some churches are at war uh, over their worship styles and worship songs and worship leaders and instruments and all of those kinds of things. Uh, isn't it awesome? to be in a place where we're not fighting those battles. It's not happening here in that same way. But it has been said that from the very beginning, Cain and Abel uh, are the first ones who bring forth worship. They bring forth an offering before God. Uh, way back in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel, their sons, and they bring forth worship before God. And the Bible says that Abel's worship was acceptable. Uh, God didn't appreciate Cain's worship. And that's good for us to know, because that means that we might sometimes bring worship that God doesn't appreciate. It's possible, apparently, for that to happen. And so Cain and Abel bring their worship. Abel's is received, and Cain's is not. And Cain is full of jealousy and full of anger, and he kills his brother over it. It's the first uh, tension. It's the first disagreement. It's the first violence we see in Scripture. And so it has been said that the first fight that ever happened, the first violence that ever happened in recorded history was over worship styles, and Christians have been fighting about worship ever since. And, and we don't do that here, but we want to talk about just some of those differences a little bit as we go through our carol today. So let's walk through, O come all ye faithful. O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. The faithful, that's us. It's talking about us. Come you who are faithful to follow after Jesus. There is a call given in this carol. We are invited to come and adore Jesus. We are invited to come and enter into worship. So come, faithful ones. Come, those who follow after Jesus. Don't just come. Come joyfully and triumphantly. 
Come in triumph as you come to worship. We've spent the whole fall talking about spiritual warfare and how we are a war already won. There is a victory that has already been won. And so we don't come as victims. We don't come entitled. We don't come feeling sorry for ourselves. Come triumphantly into the place of worship because Jesus has triumphed. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's his victory. He shares it with us. So we triumphantly come into worship. And not just in that attitude of triumph, but joyfully. Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And the book of Psalms is what teaches us how to worship. And the book of Psalms is what teaches us how to pray. If you want to grow in your prayer life or grow in your worship, you need to spend some time in the Psalms. And when you read through the book of Psalms, they are constantly, uh, you know, words like joyful and shout and exclaim. Uh, there's this, this passion that apparently they were expected to bring in Israel. There was not just sort of, you know, coming into the service and staring at a screen and... That's not joyful! Make a joyful noise to the Lord out of grateful hearts for the fact that he has made us and he has cared for us and he has protected us and he has died for us and he has forgiven us and he has risen for us and he invites us to eternity for him. There's a few reasons to be joyful when you think of all he has done for us. And so make a joyful noise to the Lord. And that's a challenge to our worship. Is your worship joyful that you bring? Do you bring him something beyond just monotony and beyond just, just a routine or I got to get through this because I, I really just want to get through the service or, or it's not my favorite song or, or whatever we go through. Uh, that may even be understandable, but we are called to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And that can get tricky because not every song makes me feel joyful necessarily. I love most of the worship we do here at Meadowbrook. There are songs we do that I hate with a passion. We let the worship leaders make their own choices. There's certain songs, there's one song in particular where I said, if you never did that song again, I'd be a super happy pastor right now. <laughs> but that's my preference, and they still do that song, which shows how much they respect my opinion, obviously. <laughs> but I am called to make a joyful noise to the Lord. It doesn't say make a joyful noise to the Lord when you like the music, when you like the song. It's you make a joyful noise to the Lord because we are grateful, because we are thankful, because he wants our worship and he has asked us to bring this to him because with everything he has given to us, this is what he has asked us to return to him. And in gratitude and with sincere hearts, we want to do that. We want to bring that back. And sometimes we don't like a style or we don't like a song or we don't like a band or we don't like an instrument or whatever. And that's normal. Everyone has their own style. But as we are growing and maturing as worshipers, we are wanting to push past ourselves and focus on the object of our worship. I was at a conference once. We had a conference up in Sudbury on the Holy Spirit, and I was one of the speakers there. And on the Saturday afternoon of the conference, we did a panel where all the pastors and speakers came up on the stage, and we did just like an open mic Q&A. Uh, and so there was a lady there, and she had a question, and so she got up to the microphone. And it was one of those things, like it wasn't so much a question as a long and rambling critical statement instead, which is the danger sometimes when you throw open the floor. And so she got up and she said, yeah, I have a question about worship. And it wasn't a question at all, but she had something she wanted to say. And she was, she was a little bit older, and that's only important as we're talking about styles here. So what she was saying is, uh, I hate how we do worship in the church these days. So we're off to a great start as she takes the microphone. 
She says, it's all new music, it's all new instruments, it's all that new style. She said, where are the hymns? Where are the old choruses? Where are these great, you know, anthems of the church that we used to sing? And they were so much more profound, and they were so much richer. The stuff we do today is so light and fluffy. And where are those great songs we used to sing? And like the young people are just taking over, and they're not considering the older generation at all. They're just doing what they want. And they're not doing anything for us. And, and so there's nothing. We feel like we're not really a part of worship in our own churches. And some of us have been here for decades, and we just feel like we've been pushed out. And as we feel like we've been pushed out, it's like, you know what? You're going to grow up, younger people, and you'll have your time. But, but what about us? We feel like we've been ignored. And as she's wrapping up, a young woman stood up. And she said, I take issue with everything you just said. So there's going to be a fight now on the open floor. And she said, worship has to reflect the time that, that we live in, right? We're trying to reach unsaved people, and, and so we're trying to connect with a musical style that they'll be familiar with. And every generation has to learn to worship Jesus in their own way. And, and you guys have had that, and now it's our turn to figure that out. And some of those old songs are super boring, and, and I just don't understand half the words in them. And so I can't worship to those songs. And so they went back and forth a little bit. And the moderator finally put an end to it, and then we all weighed in, who were up on the stage. And, uh, and I agree with some of what each of them said. I do, they both had good points. That I do think worship as a whole should reflect the times that we live in, because we are trying to connect with a culture. Each generation does need to le learn to worship Jesus in their own way. Some of these older songs uh, that we miss so much, there was a point where they were the cutting-edge brand-new songs. And when they came out, the older generation there didn't like them. And so this is a pattern that has gone on for 2,000 years. Each generation has to worship Jesus in their own way. And yet, we don't want to dishonor older songs either, because a lot of times they are richer, and they are amazing. And I hope that's one thing you've seen as we've gone through even this little mini-series. Some of these older songs are unbelievably powerful and, and biblical and deep. Some of our new stuff is kind of shallow. Like, there was good points on both sides, but different people on stage were weighing in. And what I said, I said it nicer than this, but I'm just going to say it quicker for you guys, is I said, neither one of you is loving each other very well in this moment. And I think sometimes that's true of the generations themselves, that, that they, they aren't looking to what would help you worship Jesus better. It's just, what do I want? What are my preferences? And we all have those preferences. I have a hard time worshiping Jesus to a country music song. Almost impossible to do. And yet, if Jesus is really worthy of worship, then if I'm going to mature as a worshiper, then I need to learn how to worship him to a country music song. The Bible says that when we get to heaven, it's going to be all people, all tribes, all nations, all languages. There is going to be country music in heaven. I, now, I know that doesn't sound like heaven, but there is. If everyone is represented, if it's all going to be there. So, like, we got to practice our line dancing now so that we're ready when we get there. But there is this theme that goes through Scripture from front to back, and it gets highlighted in the book of Revelation a lot, where they say, worthy is the one who sits on the throne. Worthy. He is worthy 
of our worship. The word worship comes from that word worthy, his worth-ship, that he is deserving of praise, that he is greater than anything that exists on the earth, and because of that, he's worthy of our praise, that he has created us, and because of that, he's worthy of our praise, that he has protected and provided for us, because of that, he is worthy of our praise, because he has died for us and risen for us and saved us, he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy all the time because he never changes. And so his worthiness doesn't ever change. And if I don't like the song, or I don't like the style, or I don't like whatever, the problem is me in that moment. Because the object of our worship should be so much more important than the means we are using to worship him. And we need to look at it and say, well, where do I need to mature as a worshiper then? If you can't worship to the new stuff that we do in church, then that's where you need to mature as a worshiper. Because you should be able to worship Jesus to anything. And if you can't get into the old songs and these great, incredible anthems of the faith, that's where you need to mature as a worshiper. And if you don't like the drums or you don't like country music or you don't like whatever, we should be able to bring out a log and bang sticks on it. And you should be able to worship Jesus to that because he is worthy of our worship all the time. And that worthiness is not conditional on the song we're singing or the style we're singing or the year that the song was written or anything like that. He is worthy all the time. And my job is to bring him the best worship that I can. And sometimes that will be more of a struggle. Sometimes it will be easier for me to worship because hey, I love that song. And sometimes it might be a little bit tougher, but the Bible talks about worship as the sacrifice of praise. So if I need to line dance to worship Jesus, that's a sacrifice of praise. But he's worthy of that sacrifice. He's worthy of me laying down my own desires, my own preferences, in order that he might be glorified. So we are told to come to worship. Come, come to Bethlehem. Bethlehem comes up in a lot of these old songs. We are called back to the place. Bethlehem is still there. The village still exists. It's about 25, 30,000 people. It's about Leamington size. And it's really close to Jerusalem. It's just about five miles away. It's not far at all. Jerusalem, the main capital city, the trade center, the city of kings is there. And then there's little tiny Bethlehem just in the valley, uh, just a few miles away. And, and it was just a little village in the time that Jesus was born. But it's crucial in the story because uh, there was a destiny that God had for this little sleepy little town. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, this is written uh, six to seven hundred years before Jesus is born, like six to seven centuries before Jesus is born in Bethlehem. The Holy Spirit speaks to Micah, and Micah says this, You, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So Bethlehem is this little town. It doesn't even register as one of the, the clans of Judah. Like Judah's the province that they're living in. Uh, it's just too small to be considered anything important there. And yet there is a ruler coming, but not just a baby, not just a king. Uh, the ruler who comes from of old, from ancient days. There is something eternal about this baby that is being born. This baby is being born literally in time and space. But there's something very, this baby has a, an eternal origin. Uh, ancient times, from of old. This is not just a normal baby that's just a brand new life starting fresh. This is a baby being born in that way, but there's something eternal about this one. And 700 years before Jesus is born, Micah says, this is what's going to happen in Bethlehem. It's pretty cool. 
And so we are called back to Bethlehem and, and this picture and really the whole Christmas story kind of has this theme is that this little tiny place, this little tiny sleepy town, uh, like Jerusalem was right there, right? That was the capital city. That's where kings were born. That's where the big things happened. If you wanted to highlight the fact that a significant baby has been born, you do that in Jerusalem. That's where all the people are. That's where the kings are normally born. That's where the palace is. That's where all of the attention of the whole country is focused. But instead, God goes over here to Bethlehem. And just this beautiful reminder that God really seems to delight in doing things in unusual ways that we wouldn't expect. God really seems to delight in taking seemingly little and insignificant things and using them to do incredible big things. And we see this theme throughout scripture. God doesn't always pick the person that you think he would pick, right? He sends David off to fight Goliath. You know, he, he picks Paul to go and be this great apostle to the Gentile. Paul would say of himself, I'm the most Jewish guy who ever lived. And he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. God sometimes takes the opposite of what you would think would happen. And, and he uses it to do incredible things. Because he says in his word that my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Jesus says. So like, it's not what you bring to the table. It's what I bring to the table. And he can do miraculous things, even in very unlikely scenarios. And that's honestly what so much of the Christmas story is about. God comes in the most unexpected, unusual way that he possibly could have. And he can do that with us as well and in our lives as well. So we are called to come and behold him, born the king of angels. We touched on this last week a little bit. And one of the names of God in the Old Testament is the Lord of hosts. And that's an old King James Version word for armies. It's not talking about like, hey, come over to my house for lunch. It's the Lord of the heavenly hosts, the Lord of the armies of heaven, the Lord of the angels. And uh, in the message version of the Bible, it calls him the God of the angel armies. And Chris Tomlin wrote a song about that a few years ago. That, that God, one of his roles as God is that he is the ruler over these angelic forces. And we spent some time talking about them back in the fall in our spiritual warfare series. That these are created beings that are there to worship God, to serve God, and to minister to us. And, and there are apparently this untold, uncountable number of them. And God is on his throne over seeing them all. And as Jesus is born, there is this acknowledgement that this is the one who is that same God. This is the Lord of hosts being born. The King of angels has just been born. And, and this incredible, miraculous thing has happened where God has come near to us in a brand new way. And as Jesus is born, there is a response of angels as that happens. And Linus told us about it in our clip today. Sing choirs of angels. Sing in exaltation, in, in exalting, in glorifying God. Sing all ye citizens of heaven above. And when the shepherds are watching their sheep and the angel shows up and says, there's a baby be born in Bethlehem, the Bible says, suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, a multitude of the angel armies, and they are all praising God. Heaven just explodes in that moment in worship. Heaven can't be contained. And somehow, miraculously, this, this, this divide that we have between the natural and the spiritual, between the physical and the unseen realm kind of gets torn open in this moment, and the shepherds witness these angels who are there, and they are glorifying God with everything they have, they are worshiping that Jesus has been born. Heaven just explodes in this worship. And it reminds us that worship is always an action word. Worship is not passive. Worship is something we have to do. We have to engage in. 
And if you read through the book of Psalms, which again, teach us how to worship, you will see these words in there like make a joyful noise and shout and exclaim and clap your hands and get excited and get loud. Elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about dancing even. Who's down? Marlene is, right? She's, she's leading the way. We are called to do these things in the Bible. These are in there that we make a joyful noise, that we get loud, that we get excited, that we get grateful, that we pour out our hearts before God. And that might not be natural for us. And honestly, it's not overly natural for me. I'm an introvert by nature. I don't like getting loud. Quiet is way better than loud. Right? I don't naturally clap my hands. I don't naturally want to pour out my heart to God in that way. That can feel uncomfortable sometimes. That's just not natural for me. It's not natural necessarily for a lot of us. But the Bible calls us to do that. So what are we going to do? And if this were any other area that I was talking to you about of character or following after Jesus or whatever, we would be saying, and this is not controversial, that when the Bible says something and I don't want to do it, guess which one has to change? That my life more and more needs to be formed to what the Bible tells me to do. And that's true of worship. That our lives more and more need to be formed to what the Bible calls us to do in worship. And worship is always an action word. So it might not be the most natural, but that doesn't matter. I don't like belting out a song personally, but that doesn't matter because the Bible tells me to do it. So I do it because that's the worship that God wants. He calls me to clap my hands. He calls me to make a joyful noise. He calls me to express my heart to him. It might not always be the most natural and comfortable, but it's what the Bible calls us to do. And so in any other area, we'd say, all right, how is your life going to look more and more like what the Bible calls us to do? What's the next step for you as a worshiper, as you seek to bring something before God that is pleasing to him, as you, in gratitude for what he has done for you, bring something back to him as a gift? What's the next step for you? for your life to look more what the, the word of God tells us to do in our worship. We are called to, to do this uh, as we give him the best that we can. The angels sing when they appear to the shepherds, glory to God, glory in the highest. And, and we are called into this song with them, that everything from the lowest earth to the highest heaven, that everything would come and give glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. In the Latin, that is gloria in excelsis Deo. That's what that means. Glory to God in the highest. We sing that sometimes in other carols. That phrase comes up. If you've ever wondered what it means, it's Latin for glory to God in the highest. That from the lowest earth to the highest heavens, everything would glorify God, and we get to join in that song with them. We are invited to adore him with the angelic choirs. And this theme throughout the scripture that God is worthy of all the glory, that it all belongs to him. He is worthy of all the praise, of all the attention, of all the credit. He is worthy to be big and to be central in everything. All the glory goes to him. And worship is one of the ways in which we do that. As we sing our songs and as we engage together, that we give him glory as we do that. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. This is just a minor a side point. We don't know when Jesus was born. The Bible doesn't tell us that, uh, what time of day or even what time of year. Uh, and so as we, we sing these songs, a lot of the songs that we sing at Christmas time are really pointing to nighttime, right? Silent night and oh, holy night. And that comes because the angels show up at nighttime to the shepherds. And so we don't actually know it all. It's not really important at all. We don't even know what time of year he was born at. We know he probably wasn't born in December at all, and this just became a church tradition over time, and, and that's okay. 
Um, because we, as much as we acknowledge, hey, let's be clear on what the Bible's clear on. If the Bible's less clear on things, we just don't need to be as clear on that, uh, and that's okay. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. And that's one of my favorite lines of this song. To thee be all glory given. And that can be tricky where sometimes I want some glory in my life, right? Sometimes I want some acknowledgement. I want to be thanked. Sometimes in a marriage that comes up of you're not appreciating me. Well, I'm not appreciating you. You're not appreciating me. And we want some of this stuff for ourselves. And that's maybe not the worst thing because we are also called in the Bible to encourage one another and to, to spur one another on and to, to build up one another. And so that is a good thing. Uh, but as long as we're framing it in the whole idea of this, that Jesus is Lord, and as Lord, Jesus is worthy of all glory. We say, Jesus, you're more important than me getting credit for anything. You're more important than me, uh, you know, getting the song that I like. You're more important than me getting the style that I like. You are more important than me in, in every way. I am submitting myself to you. Where they came and they bowed at the manger, we bow too. And, and when the Bible says, yeah, kneel before the Lord your God. And when we see this picture in heaven of, of what worship looks like in the book of Revelation, they're on their face and they're singing and they're shouting and they're taking off their crowns and they're putting it before him because they're acknowledging even as you've given us these gifts, we give these gifts to you. They're yours because you're worthy of all the glory and all the credit and all the honor. We give it all to you willingly because you are worthy. You are deserving of all of our worship. When the wise men came, we read their passage last week, when they come to see Jesus, they see the star, and they follow the star, and they come with gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they say, we've come to find the one who has been born king of the Jews. We have come to worship him. And, and that is not a normal reaction, even for a prince to be born. You wouldn't come to worship that prince. But Jesus is not like other princes. He's not like other kings. He's not like other babies. They come to worship him. And as they come with gold and with frankincense and myrrh, these are spices and ointments that they bring with them. And it's been speculated that they're coming with like tens of thousands of dollars worth of gifts. Like that's a baby shower right there. They are coming with these precious things. And, and they're costly. They come with a costly gift of worship. And, and we are called to come with a costly gift of worship. And some of that's our finances, where we tithe and we honor God with that. But beyond that, maybe that's part of your sacrifice, part of your costly worship is, I hate this song, but I'm doing it anyway. Or I'm having a bad day, but I'm going to push through and worship him anyway. Or it's a rough season of life, but I'm not going to let that rob me of this opportunity to worship him because we are called to bring a sacrifice of praise. They bring costly gifts to the baby Jesus. So sometimes worship will cost us something, right? Something of ourselves that we need to lay down something of our pride that we need to put aside, something about our preferences that we're going to lay down so that other people can worship in their way, that there is a sacrifice involved in worship. But we are invited to do that, to come and adore him with the angels, with the shepherds, with the wise men who all come worshiping Jesus when he's born. We are called to worship him as well. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. This is straight out of our passage today from John chapter 1. It's my favorite part. Word of the Father. Jesus is called Word in our passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. That Jesus is portrayed as one with God. The true light that brings light to everyone was coming into the world. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
And so why is Jesus called the Word here? Don't we call it the Bible is what we normally call the Word. Why is Jesus given that here? And I could talk for weeks about why that is. But for your sake, because I love you, I'm not going to put you through that. But we'll do it in just a couple of minutes here today. One of the reasons Jesus is called the Word is that the Bible says in Hebrews that in the past, before Jesus, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. He spoke to them in many ways. Hebrews 1.1. That in the past, God spoke to us through the prophets. And so through Moses and through Isaiah and through Daniel and through Ezekiel, God would speak to these prophets. They would write down the revelation that God gives them. And that became the scripture. And so if you wanted to get to know God, you had the scripture. You had the word. You had the written word of God. And if you wanted to know the character of God, the nature of God, the will of God, the ways of God, the heart of God, the mind of God, if you wanted to know God, you went to the word. And the word was there to show you who God was. God spoken through the prophets and written down. We still honor and revere the written word of God. But the author of Hebrews says, in the past, that was the only way you could know. In the past, that was the only way you could see God. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in many ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. His son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being. So if you wanted to know God before, all you had was the word. And you went to the word to get to know God. The revelation of God was in the word. Now that Jesus has come, that shifts a little bit. That's still, we still know God through the written word. But now the revelation of God has become flesh. The character and nature heart of God has taken on a body, has taken on human form. It's not just the written word. Now the word of God has taken on human form and been lived out in front of us. And now if we want to know God, we have the written word, but we also have Jesus. If you want to get to know God better, get to know Jesus better. To see Jesus is to see God. And so the word has become flesh. The revelation of God has become flesh. And where texts can sometimes be impersonal or a bit difficult to understand, and the Bible's a big book, and some of it's hard, and we got to wrestle through it. Some of the passages are really difficult. Some of them are very uh, interpreted very differently, depending on what stream of the church you're a part of. But in Jesus, all of a sudden, God gets a whole lot easier to understand. Because Jesus lives out this life that we live out. And he talks and he acts and, and he says, follow me. Here's how you do this. It's not about mastering a text. Jesus says, follow me. Follow my example. Follow my ways. And so the word becomes flesh and all of a sudden God gets a whole lot easier to understand. And as we get to know Jesus better, we get to understand God better. And we still have the written word there to keep us on track. And, and it's still scripture. And we still honor and revere it. But we do that as we look to Jesus as the perfect picture of who God is. The word of the Father has now appeared in the flesh. The revelation of God has been made perfect in Jesus. And as we follow after Jesus, we are getting to know God better. We are following after his ways. And so we are invited throughout our song today. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And we are invited into this place of worship, into this place of, of praise and adoration to Jesus who is born because he is worthy to be worshiped. He was worthy from the moment he was born. From the moment Jesus is born, angels start worshiping, shepherds start worshiping, wise men start worshiping, and we are invited to the manger ourselves to worship him. We had an older gentleman in my last church, his name was Gabe, 
And he'd been there forever, decades, and was a real pillar in the church, board member off and on in different things, rock solid in the word. Um, and his ideal worship expression was an accordion singing the old hymns. You know, turn the page, you know, to him 247, and then the accordion would get going, and, and that was his favorite. And so he hosted a prayer meeting where that's what they did. They got together and they worshiped God in that way. And, and he loved Jesus so much. And one day I said to him, I said, Gabe, on, like, what do you think of this worship that we do here? And it was similar to Meadowbrook's, just newer stuff. And what do you think of it? And he said, to be honest with you, I don't like almost all of it. And he said, but, he says, if the word of God is proclaimed and if Jesus is glorified, I will worship to it. And I said, Gabe, I wish every Christian on earth had that same attitude, whether you like the old stuff or like the new stuff, whatever, because none of that should matter. The object of our worship is so much more important than the style in which we worship. And, and this song is an old song we're singing today. And then we've sung a couple of newer songs as well. And as we worship, there, there can be this beautiful mixing of all of it. But the most important thing is the object, the one that we worship, who is worthy of our worship, whether you've had a good week or a bad week, whether you like this carol or you hate it, whether you've got a million things to do today and you're distracted, whatever, whether you're full of joy and peace naturally today, you can't wait to jump into the song. Wherever you are at, he is worthy of our worship this morning and we want to worship him again together before we go so would you stand with me please as we close with this song again just as we wrap up the service today just a reminder if you'd like to come forward for prayer there'll be people that are trained to pray with people specifically up front they'll have lanyards on them to identify themselves I encourage you to come forward and to Get prayer if you're asking that in your heart and you need that. It's a great place to come this morning. And we want to play, create this place uh, for prayer. So if you're visiting and want to hang out, we encourage you to do that in the foyer or just down the hallway. So as people come forward to get prayer, we can create a, an atmosphere for that. So let's visit outside the foyer. As we wrap up service too, just as we think about the Christmas season, as we dive into the busyness of this time of year, and as Pastor Chris mentioned, the object of our worship should be Jesus. And I know that there's so much that happens this time of year, family gatherings, activity and whatnot, and those things are all good. They're absolutely all good. But sometimes we get so caught up into all that stuff that actually takes over the meaning of Christmas versus what the reality is that Jesus really is the reason for the season. So as you dive into Christmas, as you go into your work week, encourage you to really ask Jesus to be on the, the seat of your throne in your heart so he will be the object of your worship and everything you say and do. It's not easy. We're not perfect, but that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He allows us to come into his presence in our weakness because he is strong in us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the strength you give us when we're struggling. Thank you that we are so fortunate to be able to call you Lord. And I pray Jesus that as we get into the Christmas season as we hang out with family and friends and those times would be rich for our soul. But Lord, I pray that we would change the narrative this season, that we would completely focus on you as the object of our worship, that it would be simply about you and all the noise and the busyness. We would slow down enough to understand that Jesus, you are the reason for the season, that we would re reflect on the greatest gift ever given to mankind. Thank you for everybody in this room today. And as they go about their week, encourage them, give them strength. Father, I pray that they would receive a new revelation of who you are in their life this week. And there'd be freedom and joy in that. 
And so, Lord, thank you that you're with us in all things. We ask Jesus, you just lead us and be our strength. We ask this in Jesus' name. Before you go, just a reminder, next Sunday we have a 10 a.m. service. And if you want to come up for prayer, we encourage you to do that. Have a great Sunday.